This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. I want to read to you um, a handful of theses in the 80s. Um, I mean, number, and, and not from like 1980s. But I'm sorry. Um, and this is just where he's saying, he's kind of, this is where he's hedging against the Pope a little bit, like, we're not going to throw the Pope under the bus. Um, so he says, this unbridled preaching of indulgences makes it difficult even for learned people to rescue the reverence which is due the Pope from slander or from shrewd questions of the laity. Um, and he, he has some good questions. So 82 says, why does not the Pope empty purgatory for the sake of holy love and the dire need of the souls that are there if he redeems an infinite number of souls for the sake of miserable money with which to build a church? I mean, I think Luther's saying that's a really good question. And I can't, I can't stop people from asking that um, because this whole system is set up not entirely for the benefit of the people. Um, and... 886 is another good example. He says, Why does not the Pope, whose wealth is today greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, build this one basilica of St. Peter with his own money rather than with the money of poor believers? I think if I remember correct, Pope Leo X was a Medici. Um, I think that's correct. And that was one of these, you know, illustrious, absurdly wealthy Italian families. Uh, Hmm? Weren't they Venetian? Yeah. Um, so they, like, he would have had just a ton of money and would have been perfectly fine. So it's, it's kind of saying, instead of emptying the church coffers and then refilling it uh, by imposing indulgences on all these people, he should have just built it himself. Um, so even when he's, you know, even when he's trying to kind of... Uh, defend the Pope, he still puts all of these theses in here, which really um, kind of kick the Pope in the shins pretty, pretty hard. Um, and he says in 90, to repress these very sharp arguments of the laity by force alone and not to resolve them by giving reasons is to expose the church and the Pope to the ridicule of their enemies and to make Christians unhappy. So he, at this point, just has a very interesting standing mm -hmm. um, to the Pope. And even though he's kind of defending him, kind of trying to hedge him away, you can definitely see why the Pope would have been upset by this. Passive aggressive maneuvering. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, what did you think about Theses 92 to 95 with the way... Um, Luther ends it. I think these are meant to mirror, you know, the, the, especially the first four theses. I didn't understand 93. Me neither. Neither did I. <laughs> oh, it's coming out. <laughs> uh, so it felt like at first he was going right. to contrast 92 to 93, right. and then he goes, and there is no cross. Right. And you're, what? What? I wasn't expecting that. <laughs> That's the conundrum. I don't understand that. Okay. Do you have any... 
sort of inclination? Unless, unless, unless the the penance penance people and the, the indulgence people constantly alluded to whatever cruciform way of life that was existed in purgatory or something. I don't I don't pretend to understand. I turned the word of the sentence around, although it was a circle too, because he doesn't talk about cross anywhere else. Blessed are all those prophets where there is no cross. You say to the people of Christ, cross, cross, trying to call back people to the cross. So that, like in the culture, there is no cross. By the context of this document, yeah. this no. is a new language. Even while there is no cross, they're saying cross, cross, so they're like. No, where there is no cross, blessed are they, the prophets. They're yeah. crying out the need for right. cross, cross, cross. Right. Yeah, I think that's what, it, what it's saying. It's but it's, it's new language here. He hasn't mm -hmm. talked about cross. Yeah, it, it's, it's odd to feel it introduced so like right game. Right. Obviously, it's a parallel piece, piece, where there is no peace. Where there is no cross, but today it's a cross, cross. That's our only hope. Right. Nope, I... I, I, I I looked up um, commentaries and discussions on Thesis 93 because I thought somebody's going to ask about this one. <laughs> and it is, it, yeah, I knew it was coming because it is, it is strangely worded. And um, I mean, it seems to me that all of the experts basically say the same thing that you just said. Um, Anticipating how to work. Because the problem is you've got all these people saying peace, peace, and there is no peace, but he's sort of praising or saying this is a good thing to preach the cross because right now no one is doing it. Mm -hmm. um, but it is, it's worded in such a way that it mirrors that thesis. Or translated in such a way, or yeah. I don't know. Yeah, that's problem ending because it's always, yeah. all this is always through translation. It's, it's a translation thing. What's it really saying? Yeah. Was Luther training pastors at this point yet? Because I know that he did some, a little bit of traveling where he was kind of helping priests to become more cross-centered, if you will. Has he started that yet? Is that what I'm asking because is that what he's referring to? Blessed are these guys who I know about out there who are doing that. I, I don't think there would be a specific reference in his mind here. Um, you are right that later in his career he does do these things called the visitations, where he and a few other guys would travel around to the parishes and see what the spiritual state of the church and the people were. Um, and that's why you get the small catechism. He's saying, I've traveled around and I've seen that all these Christians, they don't know the Ten Commandments, they don't know the Lord's Prayer, they don't know the Creed. How can you be a Christian if you don't know these things? Uh, so that's, you know, that's when that happens. But um, I don't think there was a lot of that happening in his earlier time. Okay. Yeah. He will have, he's lecturing in Romans right now. Mm. Is that right? 15, 16, 17? I think it's 15, 15 to 15, 16. Okay, so you already know that. Yeah. It's interesting to me that how fast things are happening here because when he is writing the explanation 
to the 95 Theses, that's sort of the document that defends this, that's about the same time when he's doing the Heidelberg Disputation. Yeah. Uh, and obviously between this and what we're going to talk about tomorrow morning, there's, we've come quite a ways. Um, so this, this stuff is just happening so fast. I mean, and it probably wouldn't have felt that fast to a guy who's actually living out the time. But when we're just looking at it like this, it's in terms of the development, um, the history of ideas. It's pretty dense. It's rapid. There's yeah. all the Renaissance that's going on everywhere else. It's starting to pop. And it really helps. Walker to Wittenberg. Yeah. What are you reading? It helps with someone like Luther who knew scripture so well. So when you do get that breakthrough and that insight, it would take you less time to start to piece together um, how these things fit. Is it maybe not dissimilar to Paul mm. and his conversion from a Pharisee to a Christian and Jesus being the great unlocker of scripture for him where he totally had it backwards and therefore all wrong. Mm. Jesus comes along and retools him and all the knowledge starts to rapidly make sense. Although I guess Paul was gone for a long time in wherever he was. Arabia. Years. Yeah. 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 So I guess Paul wasn't instantaneous, never mind. <laughs> that parallel has been made several times. Right. Scales fall on Paul's eyes. And right. And, and the gates of paradise opened up to Luther as he described later. Yeah. And even though we are seeing this sort of rapid development right here, this has been a long process. Yes. Yeah. I think it's actually, oh, I'm sorry, verse by verse through the Psalms and through Romans and Hebrews. And, mm-hmm. I mean, this is, this is coming. Yeah. I was going to say, though, I think it's rapid. I think it's important to recover that it was a process. Mm-hmm. That, um, evangelicals maybe, maybe, maybe have bastardized Luther a little bit. To, it's like he was all in on Catholic Church, and then boom, he had a conversion experience, and then he was all against Catholic Church. Yeah. And well, that's, that's not actually true either. Yeah. That there was a gestation period of about four or five years. And there were lots of other voices right alongside it. That's right. Before and before. Before. Luther and Huss. And, yeah. And right about this time, Stolpitz and some others. I guess I think the development's important so that the theologian is esteemed because right. he's really working through this publicly. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly right. Luther would talk about, you know, one of his favorite things to do is to. You know, you go down to the pub and you just bring your biblical text with you. And that's all you do for the evening is get some beer and drink some Bible and, you know, pray and meditate and <laughs> experience despair. And that's how, that's how you put things together, you know. Um, yeah, it is definitely a process and it was a I long time. Just living. Just living, yeah. I would do that tonight. Yeah. Um, is there anything that just really surprises you about the 95 Theses or something that just... Well, I mean, yeah, I'm a little surprised. I mean, only because we've been talking so much about how this is early. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of helped soothing me here because these it, it, it seems to end on a note of like, whoa, I would yeah. turn a sermon this way. Like, hey, don't have any assurance based on peace. Have assurance based on following. In as much as you follow Christ through hell, death, Penalties and in the end says and thus be confident of entering heaven, rather through many tribulations than through the assurance of peace. It seems like his rhetoric, while he does, while he agrees with this, and later like a cruciform life, mm-hmm. but his rhetoric seems much different later 
you know, where he would be emphasizing, no, you need to, your assurance needs to come from not the letter of peace, but the word of peace, right. you know. So. Yeah. Yeah, put in other words, I'm surprised how this manifesto of Protestantism is so Catholic. <laughs> you know? I guess that, that's how I put it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Invitation. Yeah. And it was never meant to be such. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Um, I think it's in Obermann's uh, biography of Luther. He has a chapter called, I think it's called The Accidental Reformation. Right. So. <laughs> And that's why you find most Protestants haven't read the 95 right. Theses. Um, and if they have, they'll probably be a little freaked out about it. Um, <laughs> especially if they're somebody who hasn't read later Luther. Yeah. Let's keep that under wraps, everybody. Let's <laughs> <laughs> not make a big deal about it. Don't blog about it. That's, that's you. That's, that's you. You're the blog. <laughs> <laughs> um, we will come back to repentance, especially when we get to the antinomian disputation. So I'm going to leave some things for that time. Um, I want to, we'll, we'll wrap up now, but I want to read one piece um, from Luther. And this is from a, a document called The Sacrament of the Body and Blood of Christ Against the Fanatics. And this is sort of clarifying what the dispute is, um, because we're not, I'll, I'll just read it and then we'll talk about it. So he said, Luther says, in this sacrament, he's talking about the Lord's Supper, there are two things that should be known and proclaimed. First, what one should believe. In Latin, this is called the object of faith. That is the work or thing in which one believes or to which one is to adhere. Second, the faith itself or the use which one should properly make of that in which he believes. Up to now, I have not preached very much about the first part but have treated only the second, which is also the best part. But because the first part is now being assailed by many, and the preachers, even those who are considered the best, are splitting up into factions over the matter, so that in foreign lands a large number are already pouncing upon it and maintaining that Christ's body and blood are not present in the bread and wine, the times demand that I say something on this subject also. So he says there, when we talk about the sacrament of Holy Communion, there is Christ. There is this object of faith. He's not been talking or writing about that because that hasn't been part of the dispute. But what he has been talking about is faith or the way that we use that object. Um, and this is a, a kind of a s simple way of categorizing Luther's writings because you have all of these documents that are dealing with faith and justification and the proper, mean, proper means and use of the object of faith, who is Christ. And then you have all these documents which have to deal with the sacraments and Christology and how you properly define the object. The thing about this class is that we're only talking about the use of the object. So we're, I'll say that sort of the, the, the disclaimer is that we are not getting into any of the writings um, that deal with Christology per se or the sacraments, and all of these things, um, which if you had two weeks to do this, you would want to do, because that is what you need to get a f fuller and more rounded picture of Luther, who was intensely sacramental, um, just, just intensely, intensely, and really cared about you know, getting two natures, Christology right, and things like that. 
Um, I just wanted to note that so that we, we know that there's, there's more Luther out there um, to explore. But it's also kind of um, comforting that he says the part we're studying is the best part. Where's so, that? This, that's this, the 1519 Blessed Sacrament of the Holy and True Body of Christ? No, this is from 1523. <laughs> so confusing to find this stuff. It's like he's written uh, so many things are almost titled the same way. Yeah. <laughs> this is just called the Sacrament of the Body and Blood of Christ. Against the Against the fanatics. Against the fanatics. <laughs> Against. It's not a name, is it? No, it's not a name. Enthusiast the papists. Or... Yeah. You, you want to write that down so you have it? Or it? I'm sure it's on the internet. On the interwebs <laughs> somewhere. Sacraments, it's not transubstantiation, but it's not consubstantiation, and what, what in the world does it mean? Um, yeah, I mean, as we can, and as there's desire, we can, for sure. Um, I don't know if we should dismiss and you can leave if you want or what, but uh, I'd love to talk about that, because um, it really gets into a lot of what is important for Luther and paradox and mystery and you know. I think it's sometimes under appreciated is how close I am. This part of Luther I don't know that much about, um, but it seems like he's I mean he's as close to Rome on the sacraments as anybody out there. Like a lot of Protestants are surprised at that. Like what? Wait, is that? Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, what's the problem with transubstantiation is that it's built on a faulty distinction, a faulty philosophical distinction. Aristotle's substance and accidents. Yeah, like he says that, that's just stupid. Like, it's stupid to say that once you've said the words of institution that this thing is no longer bread. Mm -hmm. But besides that, it's fine to say that this is truly Christ's body and that he is truly present here. Um, One miracle, not two. Yeah, exactly. And you know, a lot of the problem for Luther with transubstantiation and the problem that we have with the language of consubstantiation, because Lutheran theologians don't really like that word, is that it, it is circumscribing the mystery of what is happening in the Lord's Supper. Um, it is trying to too narrowly define the way in which he is present and to give concepts to things which can't be. There is no how, there's only a what. Yeah. I mean, and later he, he in, the, in the formula of Concord, it has this long thing where it quotes Luther, and he talks about the three different ways that Christ can be present. So he does sort of try to get at a way of describing how Christ could be present in the Lord's Supper, but it's always pointing to ways. It's in the same way as a Presbyterian, I know, like the term spiritual presence. Because all of Christ is here, not just the spiritual part of Christ. Mm. All of Christ is here, but I, I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. So, I mean, that, that's just a quick thing. But as, as we go, I'd, I'd love to talk about sacraments because it's at the heart of Lutheran theology, you know. Courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. 
By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.